pray for you today. Amen. We are in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, beginning today. A very familiar story that uh, I won't read the whole story, but it says a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, if I pronounce that correctly, the people heard that he had come home. And they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. They got a sermon from Jesus, right? So some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by the four of them. So people pressing in to hear Jesus in this place to hear him preach the word, to hear, to hear him deliver a sermon to them. What, like, imagine Jesus being here right now in this room that we're all packed in here, that, we're, that some of us are sitting right at his feet. Some of us could touch his feet, could touch his hands. And we're listening intently. What would he be teaching on, right? If you think about that. Would he quote Moses? Would he quote Deuteronomy? Would he quote Ecclesiastes? We don't know what he said that day. We don't really understand you know, everything that was going on in the background, right? Was he engaging? Did he go long? Did people fall asleep while he was preaching like they did for Paul? Remember the guy fell out the window? Or some of you do for me. I do see that, by the way. Uh, did he use humor? Did he use illustrations, right? What, what did he say? Would, would you be sitting there enthralled or would you think, man, I wish Jason was preaching? Probably you would think that, right? <laughs> I, I've had more practice than he did, by the way. Just saying. Anyway, but um, you know the story, right? You know this story. These guys show up with their friend. Uh, he's paralyzed. They, they, it's so crowded, they dig a hole in the roof. And they lower him down to see Jesus. And seeing their faith, Jesus forgives this man's sin and he's, he's healed. Which caught the crooked eye of the, uh, the teachers of the law who were there. Because they're asking, who can forgive sin but God himself? And we usually get mad at these guys. But it's a legitimate question, right? Nobody can forgive sin except for God himself. So when you say your sins are forgiven, you better be able to back that up. And without prompting, Jesus asked, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk? Obviously, it's easier to just say the words, your sins are forgiven. That's easy. But the man did get up and walk. He was healed. And the authority and the divinity of Jesus is confirmed right there. Believe it or not, it is still confirmed. Jesus' ministry wasn't limited to preaching a message. It's not an intellectual one-upmanship on who knows more about theology. But he obviously didn't neglect the ministry of preaching and teaching the Word as well, right? His ministry was holistic. It was active It called the disciples into a kingdom lifestyle, a different kind of a life. Through preaching of the word and healing of people. Becoming a Christian, though, doesn't automatically prepare us for kingdom life or kingdom living. It really doesn't. We don't intuitively know how to do these things. 
how to pray over people like we did in the service last week. We don't intuitively know that. We don't know how to be like Jesus in all situations. It's not that easy. There are no digital downloads for us in this whole lifestyle. Like Morpheus with plugging Neo into the Matrix, you know, being able to like download the martial arts in a second so he can fight in a moment. There's nothing like that in the Christian life. Ministry is a learned practice. It is lifestyle. It is taught. It's caught. It's practiced over time. It takes knocks. It takes risk. We go around in life's ring and then we sit in the corner with Jesus. He wipes our brow and he teaches us how to like keep our guard up the next time. How to fight better. Boxers don't sit in the corner while their trainer fights. Yes, we've seen them do it. We've seen them go out there in the ring. We, we've learned from their example. But then they shove us out into the ring ourselves. And they let us know victory and defeat all the while we learn. Right? So ministry is a process fraught with mistake and failure, it is it, it, with opposition, and with challenge to our insecurities and challenge to our sense of safety. Ministry is scary. Being in His presence, in Christ's presence, teachable and actively ready to learn from Jesus is the ongoing informational and experiential tool in becoming great ministers of kingdom life towards others. Becoming like Jesus, doing what Jesus did, living how Jesus lived, ready for opportunity, willing to engage in ministry with people, spiritually alert, looking for opportunity, right? Growing in our ability to minister life and healing to other people, to those that Jesus puts right in our path, preparing us for that. Jesus as coach leading us as we engage in the ring of life. Spiritual formation, birthing, active, kingdom-minded disciples, ministering to others, praying for people, caring for people, sharing Jesus with people, both in word and deed. And Jesus teaches his disciples this way of life, right? In Luke 11, 1, we read this. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So there's this willingness and there's this eagerness to learn from Jesus. They recognize that he's got something to give them. And he was patient to teach these guys, despite the fact that the disciples were an extremely motley crew. Fishermen and tax collectors and zealots are not the optimal mix for a Kickstarter movement. They are crazy people. It was probably very volatile among those guys. There was probably a lot of arguments between the 12 disciples. Some of them were on the opposite sides of political, the political spectrum. Zealots lived up to their name. They were intense, hot-headed people. And Peter, the hot-headed himself, we know, we saw him cut off a guy's ear in the Garden of Gethsemane. I would have done that. Jesus had patience, though, to teach these guys to walk life with them. And three of them were closest to him, John, James, and Peter, and he spent more time with those three guys, and they were the ones that he called deeper into the Garden of Gethsemane, his close friends in a difficult time, because he knew what was coming. And he's in there praying, and he needs buddies by him, right? 
And they later took on, you know, very significant roles of leadership in the early church. And he poured himself into these guys. The circle expanded to the 12. We know that, including these three guys, all doing life with Jesus, listening to direction, watching him do ministry. And by the way, that, that expansive crowd of disciples included women as well. Let's remember that. But they were all listening to his direction, all watching him do ministry, learning from him. And even they, after being with him for so long, made some mistakes. Peter denied him three times. Jesus later, you remember, restored him on the beach, restored that relationship. Let him understand how important that was. And when the Holy Spirit came on these disciples at Pentecost, we remember that there was a massive change in them. A massive change. There was boldness and there was power in their ministry. And all thought of self was gone at that moment as they are now consumed with kingdom ministry. There's a difference in those guys at that moment. They had taken on his power. They had taken on his heart. They had taken on his instruction. And all but one of them was martyred for their faith in the end. They went to the death for Jesus. Would you do that, right? No longer were the careers of fishing and tax collecting and political positions of zealotry all that important to them, their main concern. No longer, by the way, was it important whether you were a Democrat or a Republican. That's, that's the extent of it. Now it's God's kingdom. Now that's the focus. They'd become like Jesus, caring for people, teaching people, preaching the word. They were apostolic. They were evangelistic. They were prophetic in their ministry towards others. They were trainees turned trainers. They were building the church up. They were doing what Jesus did. And all as a result of having been in his presence, exemplifying this desire to learn from him and take on his heart, teach us Jesus. And he did. He taught them. He modeled to them. And Jesus plans to extend this ministry through us out into the world. He didn't wait until Pentecost, right? He didn't wait until that moment to begin training people. He started well before. It was happening all along. You know, he had more followers than just the 12. He he sent out the 72 in Luke 10. We read a little bit of this last week, but let's go into it again. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 72 others, and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So these guys are going out preparing the places for him, ministering before he got there. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. They are out there introducing Jesus, right? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Go! Exclamation point. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. That's encouraging, (laughs) right? (laughs) But isn't that great? It's risky. Don't you? Who wants to do anything boring? I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Amen. God, that's that's the life I want. I want something nipping at my heels, right? Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Whatever that means, who cares? 
right? <laughs> you don't really know what that means, right? Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. I think we do know what that means intuitively, but you have to be in the situation to understand it. You know, if you feel peace in a place, you understand that, right? Verse 8, when you enter, I'm just butchering all this, aren't I? I just keep interrupting myself. No, verse 8, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you, heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from your feet <laughs> as a warning to you. Isn't that great? I love that. Like, Right? You be, yet be sure of this. The kingdom of God has come near. I'm not sure they did that with that kind of an attitude. But anyway. Um, but in Luke 9, remember, if you go backwards and you read, in Luke 9, he had sent out the 12 disciples with the same, very same instruction. This isn't the only time he's done this. Now he's sending out these 72 disciples. Right? Commissioning them to experience and extend his kingdom ministry to other people all around them. And they had two assignments. Preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Right? And they're able to do this since they've watched him model it. And Jesus has given them the power and the right, the authority, the right, to exercise that power over the demonic realm and over physical disease. He gave them that. Jesus had just shown this power, his power, uh, over both of these realms in Luke chapter 8, by the way, if you go back even farther, when he calmed the storm, and he restored a demon-possessed man, and he raised a dead girl, and he healed a sick woman. He had just exhibited all this, all following again his teaching on the kingdom of God. Teaching and healing, preaching and healing, right? Right? So their healing ministry was to authenticate their preaching ministry just like his did. And the fact that the disciples healed in Jesus' authority and power showed he was the Messiah who could usher in the kingdom of God. That he had the authority and the power to do so. And people's hospitality towards these men revealed their openness to receiving the message that they brought. People who believe the message and the messianic healings would be glad to share with these disciples. And if a town rejected them, they were to shake the dust from their feet. Because when Jews returned from uh, a certain area, they'd shake the dust off their feet to signify that certain people there were like Gentiles who refused to believe. Jesus was giving this entire area the opportunity to believe his message and his mission through this preaching and healing ministry. It's pretty powerful. John Wimber, one of the founding members uh, of, of the vineyard, uh, interestingly enough, he wasn't the first, but he was the guy that kind of put it on the map, uh, was a cessationist. He, he didn't believe in the miracles after the apostles and didn't believe in healing and all that kind of stuff. But he started reading the scriptures and uh, he was convicted. It can't be true. And, I, and I'm not living this way. I'm not living in risk like this in faith. And uh, so he decided that he would begin to pray over people. And he prayed for 200 people. And you know what happened? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> no one got healed. Nothing. And he was pretty discouraged. 
Have you ever prayed over one person directly for healing? Or just prayed for them directly? Let alone 200 people? Have you ever even prayed over 200 people in your lifetime without them there? (laughs) Right? Are we that concerned about anybody? It's a good question, isn't it? I'm not asking that to make you feel bad about yourself. I am asking that to reveal that we don't really do this often, right? Or the most of, most of us don't. Maybe you do. One day a woman came to him, and he had been discouraged, and she asked him for healing prayer, and he did it very reluctantly, like sort of like half-heartedly, not thinking that anything would happen, but it did. She was healed on the spot. She was physically healed on the spot. I forget from what. I don't really... I didn't go back and look up the story. I just remember this being told to me. But he had been practicing his faith. Something moved at that moment. And suddenly, John Wimber had a very vibrant healing ministry which validated his message. Don't we want that? Don't we want that kind of faith, that kind of risk? It happens, doesn't happen. It's not up to us. The disciples were practicing. The disciples were emulating Jesus' life. Like like John Wimber, it wasn't perfect because Jesus uses an imperfect church. 2 Corinthians 5, 18-19, All this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. Amen. And he is committed to who? Just to Jesus? Just the apostles? No. Committed to us, this message of reconciliation, the church, all of us, everybody gets to play. Even now, we live to partner with Jesus' reconciling work in the world. And a perfect church living in the tension of the kingdom that has already come, already broken into our reality, but hasn't fully yet been manifest in the world. It will be. I believe that. We see the apostles later in Acts filled with the Spirit, right? doing kingdom ministry and power. They had, they had taken on his ministry. Stephen is stoned to death. <laughs> well, it was a bad day for him, I guess. But he's stoned to death, preaching Christ to the masses, which initiated this diaspora of the church, this spreading out of the church, for them to be able to preach farther and wider Jesus to other people. His death was useful. Paul's letters in the New Testament urges spiritual formation, urges the whole church towards spiritual formation and for ministry among each other and ministry out into the world. Paul, we see, witnessing to the Areopagus in Athens. Ministry is passed down from generation to generation through, our, through the ages, right? Our kids are watching how we do it and they're learning from us or not. They're they're watching how we care for others or not. They're watching how we minister Jesus to the people around us or not. Do my kids ever see me caring about anybody else? Ever see me praying over anybody else? Don't ask them. (laughs) I'm afraid of the answer myself. 
We are tasked with the ministry of reconciliation, which means a lot, right? We must be ready, willing, and able to go out and take risks in faith to see that happen, caring enough to share him and his life and his healing with other people. I want to invite uh, Lindley and Alicia and uh, Rachel up. They, I want them to tell a story. I'm going to put you guys down here. Um, of what's been going on in their life. You know, sort of like I see these women doing kingdom ministry in our neighborhoods, and I, I just wanted them to share some things with us this morning. Uh, I'm just setting it up. I'm barely talking. Alicia's going to share the most. Um, but if you don't know Alicia, she um, has the gift of evangelism. It is very natural from her for her. It can't not come out of her. Um, I recently like met a new mom at a playground who lives on her street. And anyone I ask that lives on her street, I'm like, do you know Mark and Alicia House? And they all have a story about Alicia. Like, that's a good one. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, it's like lady was had just given birth to her second kid she's like yeah like she just made me food like she insisted like just gave me a lasagna um and so and that's part of the gift of evangelism uh i think it's really cool um to hear directly from alicia and her heart about it because evangelism can be a gift that we hear in a list um in a verse and i think it's kind of easy to write off it it is for me especially before i really was friends with alicia for as long as i have been just thinking like oh that that one's hard like that must not be mine i don't have to really do it or focus on it um or you know uh just kind of write it off as i don't have time or or whatever but um I hope that as you hear Alicia share, it kind of demystifies it for you. Because um, we're all called to be evangelists. Jesus' last words to us in Matthew 28 are to go and make disciples. And um, here in the passages that we've heard this morning. So um, being friends with Alicia has helped um, like develop and teach me more about this gift and hone it in um, in my own life. And so I, I hope that as, um, as you hear from her, you can... Um, decide that as well for yourselves. So she's going to tell a specific story um, about a neighbor and um, talk about what the gift kind of is and how it works in her life. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm just going to go for it here. Not teaching less of my gifting here. Okay. Jesus tells us, um, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So I'm supposed to share with you um, what abiding looks like for me and what Jason said, like being in the boxing ring in the corner with Jesus. And um, I really do sometimes feel like I'm being consumed by this kingdom ministry. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm going to share what that looks like for me on a regular basis and how out of that the Lord has just opened up doors for me to share his love. with the neighbors around me, very simply. So I'll share briefly on studying the Word of God, prayer, worship, um, being embedded in Christian fellowship um, with just a few and also with your church. So um, on the Word of God, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Um, I'm going to go off here a little bit. Um, I try to do a daily um, Lectio Divina, which we're given out here, um, and I was flipping back through those pages from the last year, and I just... I, I had them all written down, what I wanted to share with you, like how the Lord has 
um, just taught me, disciplined me over and over again, encouraged me, given me his vision um, for his people and for the nations. Um, but I won't share all those with you, but that's how being in the word just really um, kind of moves me and fuels me for the day. Um, and so when I'm storing the word of God in my heart, I'm more likely to share those truths, that treasure um, with the people around me, specifically my neighbors. Um, and I think this is so important to the expansion of his kingdom because um, I Isaiah 55, um, 10 says, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Prayer. Um, During times of study, the Lord consistently lays on my heart the neighbors and his heart for the nations. Um, If there are certain needs and struggles about which I'm aware, um, just from conversation with neighbors, um, I spend this time to intercede on their behalf. Um, I distinctly remember many bedtimes up in Luke's room looking out when the, all the lights around the homes and just praying over, like, just like our block. You know, I limit it to, like, ten. We're in a dense neighborhood. So just the ones we can, like, visually see. Mm-hmm. And some people have run Rising Sun who the Lord has just brought in our way because dog walking. Yes, on walks and runs, I intercede for them. It's just kind of always on my mind and heart. Um, and I know it was the Lord's doing that placed us... Um, on a corner lot, a very dense neighborhood with sidewalks, and we have so many dog walkers um, because every time I see someone walk by, I mean, I try every time. Don't do this perfectly every day. Um, I lift them up saying, let your kingdom come, let your will be done in their life, Lord. Holy Spirit, move and let nothing hinder the call of Jesus on their life because I know that Jesus is pursuing them all. And I'll often take the long way home, like, to pray for neighbors on Rising Sun, for example. And just the other day, I was was on my bicycle with the kids, and Spirit was like, go down Rising Sun. It's not as much of a hill, and you can pray for Rising Sun. And I'm bicycling up, and one of the neighbors that we have a relationship with comes out of his home. And, you know, I don't have to speed up or slow down. Like I was telling Lindley, we we just meet at the same point, and I can just share some words of hope with him. Worship. So spending time in worship is another way um, I abide with Christ. Just coming before the throne of God and laying it all down before him, worship often feels like, for me, the heart surgery we all need day in and day out. And when I thought about sharing on worship, I thought of three words, um, freedom, joy, and focus. So when I worship, I experience freedom from my own flesh or whatever is just making me feel downcast, worried, distracted, put in the word. And joy of the Lord, I'm lifted out of that slimy pit over and over again and placed on the solid rock that is God. Page three. And focus. I focus on God and his kingdom come. So coming out of a time of worship, whether here or in my house, I'm so much more likely to see what he wants me to see and hear his voice and then do what his spirit asks me to do to minister to those around me. Um, One morning, I think it was here... um, the Lord just gave me a beautiful vision. I had my hands raised, and I was just interceding for those neighbors and just just loving them in that way. And um, God gave me this vision of them coming out of their homes and raising their arms alongside me to praise the Lord. Um, and so he used that just to fuel, you know, fuel this, keep going. Um, and then finally, being rooted here at 6-8, I've grown so much in the knowledge of the Lord through mm. sermons and CG participation, prayer ministry, smaller studies I've done with, with you guys. Um, the sermons are excellent. I, I, I look say. back at my sermon notes, and I, <laughs> yeah. The, 
But the, the Lord has blessed me with my three. Um, Jason talked about Jesus had his three, and um, Johanna and Rachel and Lindley are who I, I just converse with daily. I mean, let's be honest. It's pretty, and it's about, I, we're talking about our walk together, our walk with King Jesus. And so that's just so encouraging, and we just spur each other on. Okay, how are we doing? Time, okay, time. So now I'm going to share about just one neighbor in particular um, who the Lord is obviously in pursuit of and with whom I have become very close friends. Um, She remembers coming over to meet me and Mark, and she brought me a flower from her garden and said this is what her mother would have done if she were still alive. Mm -hmm. Um, Over the years, we continue to have brief yet meaningful encounters. We've been on our block about six, seven years. So all this stuff, like, you know, it's just over time. Um, I would take any opportunity to spend time with her as I wanted to care for her, get to know her, and share the love of God with her in any way I could. Um, From walks to the mailbox together to exchanging meals and just small, meaningful gifts, our relationship grew. Uh, The Spirit of the Lord always made our interactions meaningful and directed for his glory and for our good. Um, During greetings on the sidewalk between our homes with my boys chattering and playing at our sides, she's opened up to me about the passing of her mother and her younger sister, like some really deep hurts for this woman. Um, there's something about, I think, that walking with the Lord that makes people open up their hearts and share their burdens and hurts. So on those occasions, I was just honored to follow the Spirit's prompting to ask if I could pray for her. And she always welcomed my words um, and his presence with such softness and expectation. I could just see it. Um, she even let me pray over her wrist that was experiencing arthritic arthritic pain, and we asked for complete healing and restoration, and she just did so with her eyes closed and was just such expectancy. She came to me days later saying she was feeling much better and relieved of some of, some of the pain and discomfort. Um, she always comments to me, your faith is so strong, Poopa, which is her nickname for me, but I really just was seeing her faith just growing. Um, so on one occasion, this okay, last one. On one occasion, I mentioned church to her. We were just talking on her stoop, you know, um, and seemingly out of nowhere, like she says, you know, I believe in God. I was baptized in the Catholic Church when I was a girl. I just don't do church now. I just don't like it. Like, uh. Uh-uh. Um, I have a Bible somewhere, but I can't read it anymore because the print is so small. Um, so I was like, what? This is great. Like, so after that, I was just determined to order her a Bible with large print. So I got one for her with her name engraved. And she's so excited to give it to her. Like, she didn't have the word of God there for her. So I pray every day that she, you know, opens it and reads. I don't know if she's doing that right now, but mm-hmm. I just pray for it. So a couple of weeks ago, Mark and I invited her over for dinner. We had a lovely time, but we also spoke about her past and and some of those relationships in her life. So the week following her dinner, I said to Mark, I was like, I have this feeling that she might be really struggling um, because we had talked about some of these things in her life. So I went over to her house with um, some soup um, and just um, for a brief check-in because we were going to be going on vacation. She opened the door, was so happy to see me. She invited me in. Um, she was so happy to get food because she said she'd been so depressed that she couldn't even get to the grocery store that week. And, and she said, I ha- don't have my fresh fruit. You know how much I love my fresh fruit. Um, and so I was just like, um, I, just, I just really felt for this woman. Um, and I just, we were about to leave for a long, week-long vacation, yet my spirit felt so unsettled leaving this woman alone. And I actually just wrote here, I really felt like this, the sense of the spiritual battle over her like was just palpable and so um i i wanted to um 
bless her like with the fullness of God that week somehow. Um, so I sat with it for like maybe an hour. Um, I immediately thought of Rachel um, because she has had the opportunity to, to befriend my neighbor um, since moving in a few blocks away. Um, however, I knew Rachel was also leaving for vacation and I knew she wouldn't be home until Thursday. Um, and I really, like I said before, I really just wanted her to feel the fullness of God's love. So I thought of Lindley, who is also just a few blocks away and who has met my neighbor in passing. Um, I knew that even though Lindley did not know her very well, she'd be happy to serve this woman um, whom she knew I loved and prayed for. So I texted Lindley asking if she would be willing to bring my neighbor some, just, I just asked her if she'd bring her some fresh fruit. And Lindley said she was honored to do so. Several days later, I was in the Poconos and Carmela, oh, excuse me, my neighbor yeah. called calls me, and um, she could really hardly articulate, she was so moved how appreciative she was, and she just, she said, I'm just in awe um, of Lindley's gift of food, fruits, flowers, and pictures from her children, and Lindley also gave her her cell phone number in case she needed anything. So um, when Rachel returned from vacation, I just kept praying, Rachel, don't forget, don't forget. I didn't remind her, I just kept praying about it. I trusted. She, so she too, she visited my neighbor and she brought her a meal and she's going to quickly share how that was for her because I think it was really awesome for her. Um, so I just want to start out by saying that um, Alicia has taught me, modeled so much for me um, about what evangelism really looks like. Um, like what Lindley was saying, I was kind of the same way, like, more of like, I can get up here and talk to you guys, but it's really intimidating for me to like be one-on-one with someone and just like, oh, let, let me just lay out the gospel for you. Um, so Alicia has really um, set an example for me as to how to do that in a really practical and normal, not weird or overbearing way that just kind of overflows um, from, from, yeah, from the vision and the dreams that God um, gives us. Um, so Alicia had... Um, really given me the opportunity to connect with this neighbor um, just by being in her yard and being out and present in our community. Um, and so through the foundation that she laid, um, she, I was able to connect with this woman as well. Um, and I had, Alicia had been asking me to pray for her for years before I even lived, um, you know, where I, I, caught, I lived, you know, somewhere else in Ardmore. And even when I was living farther away than I am now, I was praying for this woman, and I knew who she was. And so when we moved two blocks away from um, Mark and Alicia, it was, I don't know, it was natural. And she took to my children right away, which is just lovely. And um, there's something in her spirit that just, like, was drawing me closer uh, to her. And so, um, yeah, Alicia asked me to check in on her. And, of course, I was... um, concerned over over her because she's my friend too um and I had the opportunity to go to her home one evening um and I was kind of I didn't know what to expect this is my actual the first time being in her home and um she invited me in right away she was like couldn't believe that I was at her front door um and we got to talking and I actually had the opportunity to um sit um, in front of her, kneel in front of her, and pray for her, and um, share my testimony uh, with her um, out of her prompting. She's asking questions like, have you always had a faith like this? Like, how did this happen for you? And so I got to share my testimony with her and, and pray for her, and um, 
yeah, Alicia has really shown me how to take a relationship of just being social and nice and caring about someone and, and really extend that and grow that into sharing what the love of Jesus looks like. Um, and, and also just doing, doing ministry together with a group of people and having people to spur you forward just increases your boldness and the strength of, of your ministry. We each have different gifts, and each of those different gifts have met a, a really sweet and unique need in our neighbor. Amen. Thanks, you guys. That was beautiful. <clears throat> um, Ephesians 4 from last week, those three women exhibit many of those gifts in that list. What if everybody was doing that, you know? What if everybody cared enough about their neighbors to look out the... Sorry, that struck me. That look out the window at night, and instead of complaining about your neighbor next door, he's actually praying for them. Wouldn't that be nice? How, how better would the world be if there were more people like Alicia praying out their window over their neighbors? That's a pretty cool idea. Do you think about your neighbors <laughs> at all? You never know what God is doing in somebody's life. You never know. You never know. You know, I am familiar with many of your stories. God is, obviously, it's evident to me that God is using us. Using life situations in our lives, even the hard ones. Using His Word to bring people to Himself. It is very evident to me. I heard Christy and Chuck's story this week. I've, I've heard Vinnie and Mary's story. I've heard the Massey's story. I know Brian's story. I, I, know, I know a lot of your stories. And it's so evident how God's miracles have worked in your lives. Just, just last week, a woman told me that God had been speaking to her, had been just orchestrating life to speak to her in various ways. And when she came here and I was away in Colorado, it wasn't from my preaching, it was from TJ's preaching, the gospel just came into focus. The next week she found herself in Lehigh Valley visiting friends or family or something like that. And she was at this church who asked anybody who wants to come up and be baptized. And she did. And she's had this new vibrant walk with Jesus. God is moving all around us. No matter what anybody says out there, God is moving in lives all around us. Don't you want to be a part of that? Isn't it boring watching more Netflix? Right? Don't you want to have your own stories immortalized in history of how we participated in the kingdom of God when you get there and you see Jesus and He pats you on the back and says, well done, good and faithful servant. That is, a, I, to hear those words is, would be wonderful to me. Ephesians 2.10 For we are God's handiwork, Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He's placing people in our path. The need in their lives may not be evident to us until we engage with them, until we actually care, until we actually have the conversation and ask questions and pray for them and listen to the Holy Spirit's lead on how to bring them closer into His presence. You heard how Alicia hears. She hears these promptings from the Holy Spirit and then she goes and acts on them. A lot of times we don't act on them. We get them, but we don't act on them. 
We are God's workmanship. We are God's plan A. There is no plan B. He is using the church. We are God's workmanship, becoming ready, willing, able, uh, you know, this community, ministers of reconciliation. Are you ready to welcome the Spirit into your life to empower you for this task? Because which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or get up in your mat, take your mat and walk home, paralyzed man? What's easier? It's easier to say the words. But the man got up and he walked And the authority and the divinity and the power of Jesus was confirmed, validated, and revealed right there in that moment. I have seen healing, emotional, physical healings in my lifetime. I want to see more of that. I've seen people moved to open their hearts to Christ because what what He's done in their lives. We want that kind of a ministry here at 6-8. And that is, that is something that will expand God's kingdom out into our community. Uh, despite our imperfect efforts in practicing it, it is something that is risky. John Wimber used to say, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. It takes risk. So let me pray for you. Father, we thank you that you are, gosh, you are exciting, you are frightening, you are scary. But you are so good and so loving and so all-encompassing. And you call us into this lifestyle, this kingdom lifestyle, hand-in-hand with you, knowing that we walk not alone, but, and not only just with you, but with each other. Just watching Alicia and Rachel and Lindley do ministry together This is the picture of the church, Father God. This is the church that we want. This is the church that is happening. And we want to fan that into a larger, larger flame. Father, we pray that you would move in all of our hearts to make this a great year. That we would see more and more people be encountered with you and come into relationship with you. That we would be great ministers of reconciliation to our neighbors and our community around us. As well as with each other, Father God.